Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. Time for another another fine show of uh, Brewing Strong. Yes. I brew strong because I work out. It's a song I wrote for this show. There you go. Ah, we got to work that into the uh, the, uh, opening segment then. Speaking of opening segments. You just did. Yeah? AdamandEve.com. No. Oh. Blick, BlickmanEngineering.com. Our good buddy John. That's Always right. coming up with something new. Innovations in brewing, as JP right. says. Yes. Uh, innovate your homebrew. Innovating, ah, innovating right. your homebrew. Your home brewery. Your home brewery. Yeah, come on, guys. Innovating your home brewery. And actually, he does. If you, if you ever get a chance to go to one of the uh, National Homebrewers Conferences... For example, this year it's going to be in Seattle. Of course, yeah. it's sold out in 48 hours. Oh. <laughs> so if you're not going, you're not going. <laughs> you're not going, yeah. you're not going. But if you get a chance to, to participate in one of those things, uh, John Blickman's always there. And he likes to showcase new innovations at these things. That's and, where he introduces uh, them, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. So you can get there. It'd be like the first ones to check this stuff out. You get to talk to the engineers that actually designed and, and, and built this thing. And um, you know, you get to give them feedback on your experiences using various homebrew equipment, and you know all that feedback. Uh, you know, John Blickman takes that in, and he comes up with new and better ways to make your homebrew better, make your homebrew process better, make you, you know, uh, make your your homebrewing a much more exciting uh, uh, thing. Hey. You know. Hmm. Fine, yeah. Make better uh, stuff. Right. Yeah, that's another one. Well, Look at that. make better stuff. Make better stuff. What a what a great slogan. It's pretty good, right? <clears throat> well, and you know, if you're if you're contemplating going uh above and beyond, if you're looking at uh you know, going getting into like the pro side of things, uh Blickman Engineering even has some new uh nano brewery stuff for you. So if yeah. you want to get into that aspect of it, they've got the the gear for you there too. So Go check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. That's Blickman with two N's, B-L-I-C-H-M-A-N-N-Engineering.com. Go on there, check it out. Send John Blickman an email telling them how much you appreciate their sponsoring the show. Uh, They pay for it so you don't have to, so uh, the least you can do is give them a little bit of thanks. Bless you. All right, uh, live Q&A show. Yeah, we always like Q&A here. Yeah. (laughs) You're thinking of TNA, Rocky. Yeah, right. Oh, right. Wrong letter. 
All right, let's get into it. Uh, we got lots of questions, so uh, let's try and get as many in as we can. All right, but widget in the chat room as as always. If you're listening to the show live, get in the chat room and ask any kind of brewing question you want, and you will have priority over the people who don't listen live because we love you better. Um, he says, uh, "I quit using Southern California tap water. I live about thirty minutes from John Palmer. How does he know that?" Uh, and now Stalker. use and now use RO slash DI water from a vending machine. Great upgrade in flavor. I'm wondering though, is there a standard build that would be a good water for most beers? Says I use the info yes. in Gordon Strong's book to build my water now, but I'm looking to see if I can build a single type of water to use universally. That's what Tasty does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, the first the uh, first. Uh, parameter you want to hit is at least 50 parts per million of calcium, somewhere between 50 and 100. Um, then, um, assuming you're brewing pale ales to browns, um, you also want um, a little bit of alkalinity in there. It doesn't have to be a lot, but um, this is where some of the brewing software can can be useful, whether it's my brewing water calculator at howtobrew.com or Beersmith or uh, ProMash or some of the others. Um, you want to look at the concept of residual alkalinity, and you want um, you know anywhere from zero to um, eighty uh, residual alkalinity. And that's parts per million as calcium carbonate. But what that does, you know, the combination of at least 50 parts per million of calcium and then a moderate residual alkalinity um, gives you a, uh, a water that will have um, the buffering and, and lack of buffering capability that you know, you'll, you'll always be in the right ballpark for your mash pH and your beer pH. So well, those John, two are the key points. I think I think you're missing out here. I think um, <clears throat> since since these guys are, are talking about starting from RO water, yeah, pretty much they're all asking the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to come up with X number of grams of salts. You know, yeah. You should you should make up the John Palmer's water salts for RO users or D. You know. Uh, uh, dot com, or, you know, for for people using distilled or RO, and you know, X number of grams per per gallon. You come up with this. You sell it through the brewing network. Sell it through your own site, and then um, you know when uh, you know, and you could have one for pale beers, one for dark beers. It comes from Palmer. You know, everyone would be uh, they'd go for it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we, they'd, yeah. they'd appreciate yeah. that. We did something like that at More Beer for uh, a, right. a while with Colin Kaminsky from downtown Joe's. Right. Seeing that, you know, that's and, Colin. Uh, Who, yeah. Who's ever heard of Colin? Right. Well, and then he goes, uh, well, I want to redo those. All <laughs> right. So we pulled them off, and then that was like eight years ago or whatever it was. Uh, so the go. time is right. People loved those things, man. And they right. still ask, or they at least when I And if it them. came from John Palmer, 
Oh, now you, you're talking. You right? make a fortune. You can pull yeah, your kids. Those salts are, are cheap too. You pull your kids out of school, and they can just sit there <laughs> and like uh, and like that scene from New Jack City when they you go can, in the coke room and, and they're all, all cutting yeah. coke and they're all nude. You have you have your kids spooning. nude. <laughs> you feed them pizza in order to uh, you know pay for for the work. Yeah. Right. Well, I got I got the pizza part taken care <laughs> right, of. Right. Yeah. Right. Just like you know, you just send them to the garage. Okay, kids. Instead of cleaning out the garage. Today you're going to be cutting uh, chemicals into uh, into dime bags, and, uh, <laughs> and you and say if you do this, you get pizza, right? Right. Seriously, I think you ought to do, I think people would appreciate that. And then Doc you know, Palmer's brewing salts. Right. They right. would they would have you know what is the the blend that you would recommend for a pale beer for a you know a, a pale malty beer a pale hoppy beer. Uh, you know, a dark beer, a dark hoppy beer. You know, maybe you make like four. Yeah. Or a mid-range beer, an amber beer. You know, you might as well make six at that point, right? Yeah. And you know, it wouldn't be you know, and you get the little bags. You you know, just spoon them in. Spoon of this, spoon of that. You break it down to that, huh? Yeah, I like spoon. Okay, right. we'll do it. <laughs> there you go, and you yeah. sell them for a couple of bucks. It wouldn't well, be too much. Problem is, you got to go through all your works. Your volume of work and strip all that information out and just give everyone you know generalizations because if you can get the nah, if, you, nah, if you can get the exact measurements uh-huh. out on the web you'll just do it on your own. I I tell you this, John, you could publish the exact measurements and people would still buy it. Yeah, I would buy true. it rather than go out and, and buy stuff in you know, like a you know a pound of this and a pound of that. You know, if I could just get Palmer salts and done, you know. Uh, convenience. I'll pay for convenience. I get Palmer's salts. I just <laughs> yeah. imagine him like, like him just sitting in the desert, sweating, and someone wiping him off. Taste a taste and of drying salt. it out, and shaking all his salt off and selling that. I would I would be shocked if after this show airs, people didn't contact you and say, "Yeah, yeah, I'd buy that. Do that, please." Yeah, you know, I should I should look up the Alka Seltzer patent too and make them fizzing like that. Make That'd them into cool. tablets. Yeah, yeah. And just toss the tablet in. There you go. Do it. Done. Did we answer right. the question? All right. <laughs> I I'll, I, the simple answer to your question is just buy Doc Palmer's uh, brewing salts. Doc Palmer. Trademark. Wow, that's good. <laughs> Doc Palmer. <laughs> Doc Palmer's brewing I love brewing it, salt. man. All right. You want another one? Sure. <laughs> All right. This is from Aaron from Peppermill. Um, he says, I keep reading about this. What do you and John think about this? Extract twang. Is it a legitimate Ooh. fear? What can cause it? How can I avoid it? Also, when was the last time you guys brewed on a newbie-like setup? Extract, partial boil, minimal ferment control, blah, blah, blah. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we will answer that question about extract twang and our brewing prowess on newbie systems. newbie systems. Back after this. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the intuitive beer gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The Auto Sparge, 
ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry, and much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmasters Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. A heretic is anyone who does not conform to an established attitude, doctrine, or principle. If you love craft beer, you're already a heretic. The very first thing we did when we started looking at the beers that we would brew, we got rid of all those recipes. We started from scratch. We've been pilot brewing the most creative things that we could think of and the most interesting things. We've completely gone away from style. Heretic Brewing Company is opening this spring in Pittsburgh, California, and you can be a part of it. Visit hereticbrewing.com and facebook.com slash hereticbrew. Get the latest updates on the brewery and upcoming beers. Show everyone how you celebrate great beer as a heretic. It's a fairly powerful word. Being a heretic, that means you're not settling for ordinary beer. You are going with flavorful, creative, bold, interesting beers. A heretic is looking for the best beers out there. Be a heretic. Don't drink ordinary beer. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz, the forum, the learning center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. And to answer that age-old question about extract twang. 
That's right. What do you guys know about extract twang? Is it real? <laughs> is it fake? I, th- I, th- is I think it you process. Know, what is it? If you're if you're brewing with fresh quality extract, there's no problem with it. You're gonna make you can make an excellent beer, really a, a great beer using quality extract, great fermentation practices. That's going to give you great sanitation, fermentation, and you know fresh extract, and you can make an awesome beer. I made the extract beer no boil. The one in the cans pre-hopped, poured it into some water, shook it, added my yeast. Nobody said it was an extract beer. Everybody liked it. That's all it takes. So it's not you know an extract problem it's a brewer problem or it's if if you're using stale extract that's been sitting around for a couple of years hot on a shelf you're going to taste some some oxidation character on that if right. you use one you know the whole kitten kilo thing if you use a tiny little can of extract and a kilo of sugar and then ferment it at a billion degrees it's yeah, going to be sharp yeah it's going to yeah. be sharp and and cidery and probably sour cuz your your sanitation's no good you know the, you're going to get a twang but it has nothing to necessarily do with the extract it has to do with you know the way a lot of people start out brewing and just are doing crappy things yeah. yeah, one one aspect of extract twang can be um, if you do a concentrated extract boil, you know, um, where you you put in all your extract with a little bit of water mm-hmm. and boil that for an hour with your hops. Um, you can get some rapid darkening of the wort. Um, you can get a little uh, ink pen aroma out of it. Um, it's all due to melanoidin reactions at those high sugar concentrations. So. Um, that's one reason Jamil and I recommend uh, full volume boils or you know partial extract or extract late methods when brewing with extract um, to to help avoid those kind of reactions. Well, and the second part of the question was um, when's the last time we brewed on like a simple yeah extract type thing? Right. Uh, I tell you, um, so it would have been last year, I guess. I did no boil, a can a can of extract, um, and instead of adding you know simple sugar, added uh, powdered. Uh, you know, they call it a gravity booster or whatever. It's you know just a dry malt extract. So it was. Couple cans of the uh, uh, extract, and then um, uh, then add the uh, DME in that. Shook it up, out of my my yeast starter, and uh, fermented temperature controlled turned out fantastic. So, yeah, I I've been playing around with that, and uh, just I wanted to prove to myself that you know it's not a problem with the extract; it's a problem with people not paying attention to sanitation or fermentation mm-hmm. i haven't done one lately but i but, but i've been meaning to so. mm-hmm. well there you go all right i've got, got an to. incentive now yeah <laughs> well you get back to us on that one you got called out bro yeah uh this one is from christian uh hi jamil and john i use the mr multi yeast starter calculator for my brews However, if I have saved yeast slurry that I want to pitch but don't have enough, what do I do? Say I have saved 200 mils of a good slurry, but your calculator tells me I need 300 mils to pitch with. What mm-hmm. then? I would pull off, you know, approximately 
Uh, well, it depends on how big a starter you can do, but uh, you know, you can pull off approximately the amount in a, in a vial or a couple of vials or a couple of packs, um, and use that to. So, if, if it's telling you you need 300 mils, and it says that that 300 mils is 500 billion cells or whatever, yeah, or uh, you know, then you know that, uh, or you know, let's say it's. 600 billion then you know that um in 200 mils you've got 400 billion cells it's the equivalent of four tubes or four smack packs right Mm -hmm. Right. and you can go ahead and grow that up or you can take half of that and that's like two tubes or two smack packs and just do a starter with it and grow it up okay so um he says also is there any way to revitalize saved oh wow i can't say the saved slurry it's hard to say uh, to use again, or should it be tossed out? I've used yeast successfully that have been a month old in the fridge, but what about two-month-old yeast? Yeah. The Mr. Multicount says it's basically dead by then, and an obscene amount is needed for a normal brew. Right. So there's, I, there, I'm sure there's some live cells in there. The problem is, you know, you're starting with cells that are in a very weak state, and you are, you know, chances are there's plenty of bacteria in there as well. True. And maybe in wild yeast. And the problem is that has been propagating itself as well. And you're going to take that, and anything you take from there, you're going to end up growing up the bacteria in wild yeast as well. So it's really not the best best method. You should start fresh. Get a new tube or smack pack. Start from that. Um, you know, the amount of effort and money and time that goes into brewing a batch of beer, just do it right. Don't, don't, don't chintz out on that. If it's something where it's a strain you can never get again, um, you know, then there's methods of, you know, plating it out and isolating a single, uh, a colony from a single cell and growing that up and doing some test trials to make sure it's, you know, fermenting properly and, and correct to, 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 uh, the strain. Cause sometimes, those cells that are left, that are still viable in there, they're not the original strain that you were fermenting with. They're mutated. wild yeast, or they're mutated, or they've got some sort of problem. So you don't want to end up growing that up and using that in a batch of beer, because it's not going to be the same. You know, so that's why you have to grow them up carefully, do some trials, make sure that you know it's going to give you the character you want. So if you want to get into all that, there's a, a, a book called Yeast by... Uh, Home, homeboy and dog meat <laughs> and you can actually uh, I think you can find it at the Brewing Network store and uh, that'll give you all the, the hints and tips on doing that sort of thing but can you get it signed um, maybe I don't know I haven't signed copies in a long time so I don't know they not uh, even sell anymore maybe they didn't sell any and uh, so he doesn't ask me anymore you sell a lot of them maybe I don't even know I'm lying to you right now Here's another lie. As long as it makes me feel good, I appreciate the lie. Oh, Thank you very much. Great. Uh, this is from Peter, who has an iPhone. He says, hello, happy holidays. Wow, that's old. Um, I was listening to the Oldale episode, and at the 59-minute mark, you talk about taking a quarter of beer, adding a Brett culture, and then pasteurizing it and dosing it back. Exactly how would you go about doing this? It's probably real simple, but I thought I'd ask. Thank you for your service, Peter. Ah, Peter, our friend Peter. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, you know you can you can grow up a culture with that uh, using Brett and you know even make a Brett starter essentially. 
and then you know decant off the liquid. You know, use a, a quality you know a DME or something like that, and when you're growing it up, then you can decant off the liquid. Try and minimize oxygen, and uh, you know just heat it up. Uh, heat it up to 170, 180, 180 for 30 minutes. It'll kill anything in there. And then you can go ahead and chill that. Sorry, chill that down. You need a break? (laughs) All right. And uh, it'll, uh, you know, you can add it back to your beer and it won't, uh, you know, cause any any problems with uh, Brett taking off in your beer. I see. So the point is they add just a little bit of Brett character to the beer, not sour it. Right, right. Well, and Brett doesn't necessarily sour. It depends sure. yeah. on the conditions, you know, the amount of oxygen, various factors. It depends on, you know, the obviously the volume you're going into. Maybe you need to add more of that. But, you know, you've got now you've got this pitch of Brett. You can go ahead and add more wort to it and grow it up again and, you know, add more, things like that. But it's a, a good way to, if you want to add some Brett character to something without worrying about you know bottle bombs or something like that because the brett will continue to chew through those starches like you wouldn't believe yeah and by starches you mean polysaccharides yes awesome um this is from dan i'm hoping someone can help me out with this i'm making water adjustments for a barley wine that i'm about to brew i can't get the ra into the recommended range for my srm while keeping the mash ph low enough I've listened to all the Waterganza episodes and searched around the internet, but have yet to come to a conclusion. Any help might save my head from bursting. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I remember this one. Uh, well, don't don't get your head all wrapped around uh, trying to hit a specific number, um, either on my nomograph or uh, spreadsheet. Uh the relationship between residual alkalinity and beer color is uh, its ballpark. Um, you know, so in general, you want a higher residual alkalinity for a darker beer, um, and for you know for a stronger beer to, to so that the mash pH um, from dark roasted grains or you know the grain bill doesn't drive the mash pH too low where it starts inhibiting beta, beta amylase and so on. Um, but if you're, I've brewed, I've brewed very dark stouts with only 150 RA, 125, 150 RA, and they turned out great. Um, I, you know, if you try to extrapolate out, you know, and say that this is an entirely linear relationship, then you'll be trying to hit, you know, an RA of 300 to brew a Russian Imperial Stout, and that's just not needed. Um, you know, RAs in the in the 100, 150 range is about as high as you really need to go. So uh, don't overthink it. Just uh, ballpark it, brew it, and and let your taste decide. Um, pretty good. Advice. Yeah. Yeah, without without knowing more about the recipe and the starting water and so on, it's about the best I can offer at this point. All right. Jamil, how's that for you? That works for me. All right. Uh, this one's from Josh. He goes, hey, guys, quick question. Are there any problems to be aware of that can be caused by low mash efficiency other than simply having a lower sugar yield from the mash? My efficiency is solid at 54%, and I don't mind paying for a little extra grain. 
but I want to be sure I'm not leaving myself open to something else that I'm not thinking of. We've heard lots of about the dangers of hyper-efficiency, but is there anything to be wary of other uh, on the other end of the spectrum? I think it depends on uh, the, the reason for the low efficiency. So yeah. if your efficiency is low because you're not converting the starches to sugars, you could be running a lot of starch into your wort, which is not a good thing. Um, if it is because you are not successfully, you know, cracking and rinsing the grains, um, you know, it could be that you're not getting quite the balance of your specialty malts. And if you're brewing other recipes, then, you know, you're not doing them as intended. You may have an issue there. You may need to change up your, your specialty malt program. If you're, um, you know, running off too fast, you know, that might be something else. If it's a, a pH thing, um, you know, that can have problems as well down the road as far as beer stability and um, just flavor as well and even fermentation. Mm-hmm. So those are the three things I can think of right off the top of my head. What about you, John? Um, I'm thinking maybe laudering efficiency. If... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, depending on his laudering system, whether it's a false bottom or a manifold or a, or a single pickup tube, I mean, I could see where, you know, if it was a single pickup and he's running it fast, he may be only laudering a small portion of the grain bed and, and over-rinsing, uh-huh. you know, a small portion and really leaving a lot of sugar behind. Uh, right. And that's why he's only getting, 50, you know, 54%. Well, and I guess his question is, he doesn't want to change 54%, but... Is there a problem that would cause a you know problem with the beer if he remains there? And so I guess what you're saying, there's a possibility then that you know you're getting some channeling and you're over sparging so one little column of grain, and you are right. getting tannin extraction, and that would be a problem. Um, you know, yeah, that's another another possible problem. If you're tasting, you know, kind of a tannin thing, then that would be an issue. Well, those are, I think, those are all the possible issues to think of as far as um, you know what what could be an issue with uh, you know a low low extraction. But uh, yeah, good question. I don't think we've we've had that one before. All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, more after this. What does craft beer mean to you? Is it a delicious way to support your town's local brewer? Or perhaps it's the perfect beverage to pair with those delicious devils on horseback. Regardless of whether you're thinking of pints or pairings, pilsners or porters, craftbeer.com is the site where craft beer lovers come together to learn and share. Craftbeer.com is brought to you by the Brewers Association and celebrates the best of American craft beer and its brewers. Craftbeer.com is the best place to find craft beer events, recipes, great feature stories, Stories, the most up-to-date brewery listings, and resources for your next beer tasting or dinner, like style guidelines, pairing mats, and charts. Get the inside scoop on new beer releases and special events from today's craft beer insiders, and chime in to share your own knowledge, perfect pairings, road trips, recipes, and more. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until right, the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. 
Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. And, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, beer here and beer styles and all that good stuff. And if you want to learn more about brewing and beer styles and craft beer and all that, uh, one of the fun new ways of doing that is the Better Beer Scores people at uh, BeerJudgeEducation.com. They have an interesting way of preparing you for the Beer Judge Certification Program exam. So what they offer is these live webinars. It's not a canned video that you watch. This is live and interactive. You talk, you ask questions, you use the live chat, you interact with the other people. Um, it's a great way of learning, I think, and, and one that works well for most people. These guys are instructors by trade, and so it's not just some beer geek thinking he can set up a, a, you know, a course and successfully train people. It's actually you know instructors that, that know something about uh, helping people learn and retain information. They're so certain that you're going to be successful at this that if you don't pass the beer judge certification program exam with 60% or better, that's a level of recognized, you can retake the course free of charge. If you don't like the course, you sign up for it, check out the first couple of sessions. If you don't like the course by the end of the second session, they'll give you a full refund. So you got nothing to lose. Check it out. If you're interested in learning to be a BJCP judge, which 
when I studied to take the exam, I learned a great deal about beer styles. And learning that information about beer styles actually helped me as a brewer, helped me appreciate um, you know, different beers, how they're brewed, all that. It really was the stepping stone to me learning everything else about, about brewing. So I found it very rewarding. And I'd, I'd suggest to anybody who really wants to become a great brewer, you need to be a great judge of beer. And this is one way to do it. So check it out. They're at uh, www.beerjudgeeducation.com. Or you can find them on Facebook uh, as well. So check it out. I think it's, it's well worth it if you're uh, so inclined. All right. Next question. All right. This one is from JP. It says, hi, Jamil and John. I just brewed a Munich Hellas, and I had a real nice starter, and everything started fine. Yeah, you could ask us this in private if, you know, it doesn't have to No, no, it's, it's, it's not me. It's, uh, it's sure. uncanny. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I started fermenting at 50 degrees, and it's been fermenting for five days, four days. Mm-hmm. And I would like to know um, if there is any sort of temperature risk that I should be doing in the fermentation. I know mm-hmm. how to do it, like, with what ales are. Uh-huh. Where you? So after, you're not even looking at the screen. So I know. After <laughs> no, you're just making this up. <laughs> I'm an uh-huh. actor. I memorize my line. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, you know, I know how to. Let me. I lost my place. Uh, I know how to do it for what ales are like. Are uh, where you ramp up after uh-huh. a couple of days to finish fermentation. I'm wondering if my Munich Munich Hellas Ick. Uh, it's the name Hellas Ick. Hellas Ick mm-hmm. um, is going to uh, require that same rest period or what? P.S. I texted it to you the other day, right, but yeah. you hate me so much you refuse to respond. I responded. No, I didn't see it. <laughs> I, I gave anyway. you like a like a three screen response about well, fermentation help, temperatures. Well, you can email this young man back, uh, who probably has a really big wiener, and uh, right. no, yeah, um, and respond to him. I think uh, you know it's it's very similar to ales where you're doing a, a rest at the end. You, you're raising the temperature mm-hmm. in order to ensure that you get enough yeast activity to one blow off any remaining you know sulfur compounds and things like that. You get um, uh, ensure that you're getting full attenuation of the wort. And also, you know, reduction of intermediary compounds that are created during fermentation, like, you know, diacetyl and diacetyl precursors. So, yeah. uh, as what the way I like to do it is you either start, you know, if you have a massive pitch of highly active, you know, yeast, and you can start at 45 degrees Fahrenheit, let it rise up to, you know, 50 over the course of 24 hours, and then kind of hold it steady there for a couple of days. When you see, you know, be at, you know, high croissant, and you'll see the fermentation start to slow down, you'll get some some indications of it. You'll see maybe the, 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 the croissant on it starts to fall a little bit. Maybe, you know, the bubble rate has dropped a little bit. Mm-hmm. As soon as you start to see that, that's an indication that you can go ahead and ramp up your temperature. I like to add another 5 degrees, so go from 50 to 55 Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And then um, generally, the you know, the fermentation will keep chugging along pretty well. If you see it, to, you know, um, if it's a big beer, maybe add a couple more degrees towards the very end of it. But the idea being you can get that thing to fully attenuate out, and you're adding some <laughs> some heat to the yeast and helping the yeast... Um, uh, you know, be active and uh, fully consume those things. And, you know, that point at the end, if you miss that point where it starts to slow down, just go ahead and raise it some later point in time. Um, mm. If you do it earlier on, it's actually pretty, it's actually quicker 
to finish. If you wait to the end and fermentation looks like it stopped, and then you raise the temperature to do this diacetyl arrest after fermentation yeah. seems to have stopped, it takes a much longer time for the yeast to reduce those compounds. And... Um, you know, it, it's not going to be, you know, as fast. It's not going to be maybe as effective. And it also, um, you know, you're storing your beer warm during that whole period while you're trying to wait for that. So it's better to kind of raise it as it's, you know, while yeah. it's still active and kind of chase that that activity. So now I, I firm, uh, this, I'm assuming this young man ferments in a, in a conical, so mm-hmm. you can't really see it. Mm. Um, Check would you the, say you four know, or five days is good, or I mean, you got a bubbler on there or a airlock? Uh, no, it's like a uh, it's a, a, a cask rebreather basically. Uh, so uh-huh. it allows one psi of pressure with inside right, right, the vessel, right. uh-huh. and so it just bleeds off whenever it right. needs to, um, or pulls you, in CO two. You, know. you could do it by you know plato or you know reduction in sugars, yeah. a certain point in there like. Um, you know, you're three quarters of the way through fermentation. You could go ahead and do it then. But generally, how long does that take necessarily? Like fermentation in a in a hell. It depends on how much you pitch and what temperature and a lot of things. Yeah. But generally, you know, four or five days in, that's about when. Okay, great, perfect. Right. Uh, that's a very good question. I'm sure he was very satisfied. Yeah, what a what a, a brilliant question. <laughs> it was pretty good. It must right? be a really good brewer. Yeah, have must that be. level of detail of question. He's probably won a bunch of national medal. No, I bet you he's very attractive too. <laughs> well, that's that goes you know, the saying. freshly shaved head. Yeah, I'm just saying. That was yesterday. Uh, this is from Jay in Omaha. Hey, gents, I've got a question about Belgian uh, Belgian fermenters. Correct me if I'm wrong, but traditional Belgian fermenters are wider and shorter, right? And this puts less pressure on the yeast, which in turn allows the yeast to produce more esters. Well, I have an extra 15.5-gallon Sankey keg that I plan on converting to a fermenter. My initial idea was to use it for 10-gallon batches, but then I had the idea to put 5-gallon batches in it. Would that simulate a shorter, wider, Belgian-style fermenter and help me reproduce the characteristics of true Belgian beers? Maybe I'm completely misunderstanding this concept, but I thought it was worth asking. Thanks for all the info, and please keep on keeping on. Hmm. So I think he's referring to that 1-to-1 ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, depth is like the biggest, uh, determinant, uh, not so much the width. Um, so if it's, um, if he, if he's, I mean, a Belgian fermenter is probably no more than two feet deep. If I, I'd have to go back and look, uh, check out like Stan's book to, I believe you mentioned it in there, but yeah, let's say no more than two feet deep. Um, so whether you have, you know, 10 gallons in a Sankey keg with about two foot depth or 50 gallons in, you know, an area um, four by four feet that's two feet deep, you know, to get that same depth, you'd have nearly the same uh, amount of stress on the yeast and could expect to get the same kind of ester profile, all else being equal. Well, and I, I just think that this is the wrong way. It's, it's another example of chasing things because, you know, it's done somewhere, then, you know, oh, that's the way to do it. There's yeah. more than one way to skin a cat. Sorry, mm-hmm. JV. I don't um, want to hear this talk. Uh, and, you know, there are so many other factors that are far more important, I think, than this. You know, oxygen, temperature, pitching rates, um, you know, 
Yeah. Just, just yeah. a lot of little things that really make a huge difference. And, you know, people focus on something, you know, that will make very little difference. And they spend a lot of time and money on it. And I'd be very careful of that sort of thing. Um, you know, if you're doing it because you enjoy trying to replicate traditional processes, that's that's great. Um, that is, you know, the it's the experience of brewing. I think that is is the value. So absolutely go go for it. But if you're if you're looking at it as like a you know a solution to you know finding figuring something else out, you got to really focus on those other fundamental things. You know the reason we keep mentioning oxygen and pitching rate and temperature is because those right there are your major major contributors to the flavor of your beer. The other things are you know they are they're in there, but you know they're not nearly as significant as that. So focus on those other ones first and see if you can't get it dialed in that way before you go off and do these other things. And you know be aware that you know a lot of these Belgian brewers are you know they're sporting these same unitanks that uh, you know the American craft beers brewers are, are using. It's you know they're not they're you know they're worried about footprint and the the rent on their building and all that as well. So you know that's that's the whole reason for those tall unitanks, and they you know they figure a way to make make their beers uh, you know work out. That is so. true. I remember um, uh, hung, hanging out with Vinny a couple of years ago up at Russian River in San Rosa, and he had a one to one ratio fermenter, and I asked him what it was about, and he told me and. And I said, uh, but you only have this one. He goes, yeah, that's what we we, we used to make uh, damnation in all the time because that's how we got those real nice esters. And I said, well, I don't use it anymore. He goes, because I figured out how to do it without that mm-hmm. fermenter. Mm-hmm. It's just yeast management. You just got to figure it out. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's good enough for Vinny. Right. Good enough for all the rest of the world. <laughs> that's my opinion right there. Um, here's a good question from Gridiron Brewer in the chat. Um, I have a really nice tea. You can probably see where this is going. I have really nice tea that I want to add to an amber ale, like a dry hop edition. Uh Uh, How can I determine how many tea bags to add to the fermenter for the tea bagging? And I called him out on it. I said, said, no good tea comes in a bag. And he said, no, I'm being serious. I said, okay, we'll Right. Well, and like when you do uh, wit beers, you can get some chamomile tea and, you know. Um, It depends on the, the size of your bag. And, you know, how much you got in your bag, the weight of your bag. I mean, I would do it by weight more than, you know, count of bag because depending on the producer, you can see tea bags with very little in them and you see tea bags with a lot in them. Right. So I would just go by weight and start with, you know, this is, this a is, gram a gallon or whatever and then, you know, go from there, go up or down. This is my my thing, and then I want to hear what Palmer has to say. But like, um, I drink a lot of tea, loose leaf tea. I don't do mm-hmm. the bag thing. I'm a snob, I guess. But uh, you are. I would think that if you're going to try to just put the tea in the 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 in the fermenter, just dry hop with, mm-hmm. the, with the, throw the bag in there, you're not going to get the same flavors you're expecting because the flavors you're expecting are from when you're drinking the the essence when it's hot. When it's extracted hot, you're going to have different flavors than when it's extracted cold, right? Right. So well, like the difference of iced tea thing. and, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, tea, and iced hot, tea, tea. hot tea. Well, iced and tea is brewed hot. You don't you don't cold brew iced tea. Oh, you do. No, uh, I don't. Sun, sun tea? 
Yeah, you put it in the sun. It's warmed up by the sun. Yeah, it barely gets that hot, right? Well, it's, it's not like 90s, boiling, right? right? And I, th- I think the, the, the difference you're going to get is maybe the level of tannins. I think everything else will mm-hmm. be extracted adequately. You'll get some of those flavors, but you're not going to kind of get the more tannic, dry, um, tea-like flavors that you would. Like yeah. you're saying, I think you're right. Yeah. I just, I just think it well, may be acceptable for what this guy's trying to go for. Here's, here's my because a lot of times you don't want that, that that much tannin in there. Here, here's my comment on tea. Okay, and and, and nobody's going to give a shit, but I think it's relevant to, the, to to gridiron in case he wants to explore. Um, get a proper good green tea, proper teas from uh, from a proper place, loose leaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal favorite is Red Blossom Tea mm-hmm. in San Francisco. They're great people. Um, Alice and Peter. Anyway, uh, and be, because what what the, GP what has the, his tea people. They do. I do. <laughs> it's important because uh, what they'll teach you is that don't put boiling they'll water. Teach you? Is that a pun? No. Don't put. Uh-huh. You know, we're used to we're, we put boiling water in our tea, and uh-huh. then so then we get a lot of tannins and a right. lot of like right. harsh bitter uh-huh. tea. Uh-huh. But if you have the right tea at the right temperature, uh-huh. like. 150 for green tea uh-huh. you're not going to get a bitter tea at all ever okay. i mean you can well, leave it in for eight again, hours that's the whole tannin thing right yep. right i think you will get that a lot of that flavor the majority of that flavor at, at a lower temperature as well it was just going to take a long time but if he's he's going to wait like a week for a like a dry a tea thing yeah then he may have enough time i would give it a try as Definitely a dry tr- tea thing. Yeah. And you also may throw a little bit in the mash, like JP's saying, around 150. That's about the right temperature no, for a mash. No, not even the right? mash, because then you have to boil it. Or maybe, oh, or well, that's true. But maybe the little but bit the, of tannins. The, I, I, the tannins you're not going to get. I would do, like, extra strength It's tea. like It's like the tannins and the husks. You're not getting those in the yeah. mash. You, you extract right. away right. the liquid, and then okay. you boil it. Right. Yeah. So I would treat it like coffee. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Coffee beers. I, yeah. My the best Cold coffee Steve beer I ever had was dose. was double strength. It was that uh black whatever from from Red Hook several years ago that made with uh Starbucks Italian roast coffee. They just did double a double strength batch and added it mm-hmm. into the fermenter. Um you know, in the cold extraction or whatever. Anyway, sorry. So I That's I, my I rant. would I would give it a try. I'd give it a try and I'd start, you know, a, a, a gram a gallon and, yeah. you know, go from there and, and see if that's enough. If not, you know, next time try more or try less. Or I would just do a double batch of uh, a, a batch of double strength. That's my opinion. And then you add a lot of water. Well, it depends, I guess. Five right. gallons, maybe not. It's right. only an amber ale, right? Right. Yeah, yeah that's And true. I think, I think you you will, you'll water. capture You're right. You're right. different characters again, you know, dry dry tea versus heating the tea up even to 150. I think you lose some aromatics, you know, mm-hmm. that you may capture using the dry tea method. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, the reason everybody goes, you know, to cold steeping a coffee to add to a coffee beer is because you expect tannins in hot coffee or hot tea. And you're only drinking a cup of it, and it's hot, and it's you know it's a completely different experience than trying to drink a pint of beer. If you get lots of tannin in the beer, it's going to taste wrong. So, um, I would I would tell the guy to to try cold extraction of the tea and blend and see if that gives him the character he wants. Yeah. You know some of the aromatics, the flavors, um, without getting the tannin. Because if he gets the tannin, the beer gets tannin-like. It's not going to be fun to drink. Hmm. It's true. It's a good point. All right, let's take one more break, 
And when we come back, we'll, we'll wrap up this Q&A session. When Blickman Engineering set out to design a great brewing stand, they knew it had to be strong, adaptable, and last for a lifetime. The top-tier brewing stand is now proudly available at BlickmanEngineering.com. It grows with your brewing skills and equipment. Start with 5-gallon coolers on its heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves. Then move all the way up to 30-gallon pots on the high-output burner tiers. Speaking of burners, the custom Blickman Engineering top-tier burners are extremely powerful, efficient, and amazingly quiet. They have safety stops to center your pot and they'll last a lifetime and won't rust. The top-tier brewing stand allows virtually infinite combinations from traditional gravity systems to two tiers to completely horizontal. Configure your stand the way you want and have the freedom to change it at any time in the future. Your brewing stand should adapt with you, not force you to learn a new process. Visit BlickmanEngineering.com today to configure your top-tier brewing stand and to find a local Blickman retailer. You'll be surprised with all the flexible features and the competitive price. Start brewing with Blickman from the top tier. In a world where everything has been lost What happened to the city? It's in ruins Only one man has the ancient knowledge to restore civilization Uh, I need a drink Oh no, the liquor store's been ransacked you looking for beer, stranger? <laughs> Boy, all the liquor got drunk up in the first 25 minutes of the apocalypse. Wait, there's still some bottles over... Oh, no. Those are non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> I reckon you better stick to arrowroot tea and a desperate nomadic existence like the rest of us. People, I'm a home brewer. I know how to make alcohol. <gasps> oh, 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 it can't be done. Come with me if you want the beer. Okay, I'm going to need some big plastic buckets. He is the chosen one. The prophecies say that he's going to get us wasted. Someone start heating water. And then From the creators of Northern Brewer, the people who brought you $7.99 Brew Saver Shipping, massive selection, and superior customer service comes... Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the home-brewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your homebrew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read. Read your way to better homebrew. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has homebrewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. 
White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah, uh, mother... White Labs. It's all in the vial. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. When you select your one item at 50% off, you're also going to get three free adult DVDs, you're going to get a free extra gift, and you're going to get three free shipping thrown in. So... Check out adamandeve.com today, and you're going to type in the offer code Jamil, J-A-M-I-L. You'll buy one item at 50% off, and then you're going to get a bunch of free stuff. You get the three free DVDs, you get the free extra gift, you get the free shipping. It's a great deal from a great company with lots of interesting things for uh, you and your, your loved ones to enjoy. So just go to adamandeve.com, use the offer code J-A-M-I-L. And uh, have a lot of fun. All right. Back to Q&A. One last question before we wrap this show up. All right. Uh, we have one um, from Ernie. Uh, Ernie. Ernie brewed his first scratch of all brain. Wow. Gratch of all brain. <laughs> Gratch of all brain. Wow. I think, I'm, I think I'm getting insane in my old age. Uh, I brewed my That's first all-grain batch of beer with a brand new wart chiller from Great Northern. Mm-hmm. Cleaned and sanitized the chiller beyond what it needed. Mm-hmm. Also put it in at the end of the boil. Mm-hmm. But I did not notice until after uh, that there was a bluish-green quarter-inch spot. I have since read up on verdigris. Is the beer safe to drink, or will there be a risk of copper poison? Love, Ernie. He didn't really say love, but I think he should have. <laughs> we felt it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, verdigris, is that how you pronounce it? Verdigris. Mm-hmm. Verdigris. Right. Well, uh, I've seen that on my wart chiller too, and I don't really worry about it so much. Um, right? Maybe if, that's why if I, it doesn't burn when why, you pee. Then, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's why I can't pronounce things because I have copper poisoning. <laughs> and I said, "Green yeah. bat, green gratch." Yeah, I don't know, uh, John. What, what do you say? It's yeah, it's not a problem. Um, you can, I mean, you can get either acute copper poisoning, which is where you know. Um, you would drink a large quantity of copper tainted water, you know, from the verdigris on the chiller. I mean, uh, or, you know, water, but any, any beverage where, you know, had a high percent of copper, acute copper poisoning would make you feel nauseous. Um, you would, you know, you'd feel sick to your stomach. You'd probably throw up if it was, you know, if it was dangerous. Um, and that'd be about the end of it. Hmm. Um, chronic copper poisoning, is where you would, you know, continually, you know, every day drink small quantities of copper, 
and um, like having say, a pint um, of homebrew every day. Yeah, well, <laughs> so far it um, sounds like drinking but, too much homebrew. Well, or more likely from plumbing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, copper pipes in your house. If you've got uh, kind of a low pH water coming into the house through copper piping, you're drinking that water and boiling it and cooking with it. Mm-hmm. You know, then you could expect to get, um, you know, chronic copper poisoning where what you'd experience is, you know, your fingernails turning a little green, um, your hair turning a little green. Um, oh, you'd know that you'd, got it. at any time of day, you'd be able to taste like a little metallic taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have that. That, would, hmm? that happens to me. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know. If you didn't what keep you your d- spare change in your mouth, in your cheeks. Yeah. But from from a copper chiller going into, you know, with only like a dime size spot, spot yeah. insignificant. In five yeah. gallons or, or more. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Even yeah, if you drank the five gallons. The chiller, right. chiller would have to be green. Um, or you'd be, or maybe you're running through a copper jockey box or something like that. Um, but the, the yeast are going to remove a lot of the copper uh, during the brewing process and the fermentation process. So, yeah. um, I'd are being say very low risk. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. And if you die, well, see John Palmer. <laughs> Blame it on John. <laughs> yeah. All right. Another fine show, my friends. And uh, if you enjoyed this show, make sure you uh, go check out BlickmanEngineering.com, Blickman with two N's, and tell them how much you you appreciate the, the show that they sponsor, that they make possible for you. So uh, it's all because of fine folks like them and uh, the... Uh, uh, Things can happen. Yeah, yeah, our other other sponsors. Uh, You're beat. Adam and, I am. Check out AdamandEve.com. Tell them Jamil sent you. Right, exactly. J-A-M-I-L. And they'll go who? Right. It's uh, it's good stuff. And check out the Brewing Network store. There's good stuff there, too. There's books. There's glassware, shirts, all sorts of stuff. When you buy that stuff, uh, any of the profits, go right to the Brewing Network and, and help uh, pay for the studios and the, the people and everything that uh, you seem to enjoy. And, uh, you know, you like that. You seem to enjoy. Like a left-handed guy. Five bucks goes to JP. Oh. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah right. true. And the five bucks for JP to work for uh, six hours. Um, well, that would be Worth six dollars. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it, before taxes. Uh, <laughs> and check out there's uh, uh, also a link there to Brew Your Own magazine. If you click on that and subscribe to Brew Your Own, I think it's a great magazine. I write for it uh, for the last few years and do the style profile column. They uh, they kick back half of that uh, amount to the Brewing Network. I think it's a great deal for the Brewing Network, and I think it's a great deal for you because it's a quality product. Yeah, and, it is. And uh, yeah. also the AHA. They've got uh, a Homebrewers Association link there and same sort of thing. A portion of the proceeds go back to the Brewing Network, and you get uh, some nice representation uh, as a home brewer yeah. in this uh, crazy times where they're changing laws and stuff on us. So Send Charlie to the Senate. That's right. Fight so, for your rights. Uh, Make sure you uh, continue to brew, brew lots, and uh, participate. Until then, brew strong. Brew strong, everybody. <laughs>